This is Jim Fleming, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find out more about our Sunday School class or about Stewart Heights Baptist Church, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. That's T-E-A-C-H-I-N-G-S dot J-I-M 314.com. Good morning, everybody. Today is week seven of our seven-week series in the I Am's of Jesus in the book of John. So if you've got your Bibles, head over to John 15. We'll be there in just a minute. So we'll do a quick review of the first six weeks. Uh, week number one, back way, way, way back on January 11th. If anybody remembers that one, I am the, some of you are putting in your mouths right now, the bread of life, yes, I'm the bread of life. Week number two, I am the light of the world, yes. Week number three, I am the, I'll take two answers for this one. The door, yes, or the gate, the sheep. Week number four, I am the good shepherd. How many of you are batting a thousand so far? Anybody? Yeah, good. Number five, I am the what and the life. The resurrection and the life. Ah, so close, right? So close. The resurrection and the life. And then last week, Miss Margie Barber shared with us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. So we got the, the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd, the resurrection, the life, and then today, the true vine. So the original I am came from Exodus chapter 3. Moses is standing in front of God, and they have this conversation back and forth, and God tells Moses, you will go and you will do these things. And Moses says, yeah, but they're going to ask for uh, who is sending me, and God tells Moses that my name is I am who I am. And Moses says, okay, we'll go with that. Uh, and that phrase became, he didn't actually say that. That's the Jim Fleming rough translation. Uh, but he, he goes with that phrase, and that phrase becomes this euphemism for identifying yourself with God all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Jesus shows up in the New Testament, and very, very publicly in John chapter 6, says, I am the bread of life. And people go crazy because everybody recognizes that he is saying that he is God. And very, very publicly, he says, I am the light of the world. And very publicly, he says in John 10, I am the door of the sheep. And publicly in John 10, again, he says, I am the good shepherd. And in week five, in John 11, publicly, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then last week was different. And I'm glad Margie didn't touch on this. But last week was different. Last week is in a passage of Scripture called the Upper Room Discourse. And that may be your next blank. Um, This is John chapter 13 through 17. And I am... uh, I'm going to do a lesson on this probably in a year from now. Uh, It's got to soak first. But this concept that we read the Bible in a really chopped up weird sort of way. Uh, We read the Bible with chapters and with verses. And that's not how the Bible was written. Um, And I actually ordered online a couple of weeks ago a Bible with no chapters and no verses. Uh, And I'm very interested to see how that changes my reading style as I go through the Scripture. But John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 
are all one long conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in the upper room. And there really shouldn't be any chapter division. It kind of breaks up this thought. Uh, and and it's, it's not something that I had studied a lot of before looking at John 13 through 17. But this upper room discourse, he talks about a lot of different stuff. And that's listed on the front of your uh, handout there down at the bottom. So all these different topics that he talks about. Now, remember, John chapter 17, you know, uh, I worked with a guy one time who's a teacher. And he had done what's called a chapter summary of the whole Bible. You could say Isaiah 7, and he would know what Isaiah 7 was about. And you could say Micah 3, and he would tell you what Micah 3 is about. I mean, just, just think on that for a second, right? And I was, I, was trying, I was telling a story to a student, and I could not remember where in the Bible. He said, that's in uh, John 17. So whenever I talk about John 17, I always think about him. He actually goes to our church now. It's kind of cool. Uh, but I went, well, did you read that this morning or something? He said, no, no, no. When I was in seminary, I had to do a chapter summary of the Bible. I was like, oh, like of John? He's like, no, the Bible. I said, oh, the Gospels. He said, no, the Bible. I said, oh, the New Testament. He said, nope, the whole Bible. I said, so if I asked you what Isaiah 42 was, he'd, he said, da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> anyway. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all one long conversation. So I've listed there some of the things that are in that. And it's not a comprehensive list, but this is where this love one another comes in. Jesus reiterates this again at this time. Uh, but what happens in John 18? Anybody know what happens in John 18? From Jesus' disciples' perspective, the train goes off the tracks. I mean, like, completely off the tracks. Because what happens in John 18? He gets arrested. Right. We've been following him for several years now, and now he gets arrested. So 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is his last conversation with his disciples altogether. This is it. Now, if it's me or you, and we didn't know we were going to get arrested the day before, maybe we just talk about whatever. He knew what was happening the next day. This is a very intentional, purposeful conversation where he is covering the things that they need to know and they need to be reminded of right before he gets taken away. So there's some really critical theology here. So at the bottom of that page, I think, is your last blanks. So John 13 through 17 is a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples and represents what we think are Jesus' last messages to them. And I say in there what we think because the Bible is not a comprehensive description of everything that happened in Jesus' life. Right? I mean, if it was, we would need this room to hold all the pages. Right? There's actually a verse in the Bible that says that you couldn't, you couldn't write it all out. He did so much stuff, which is kind of cool. So we do all that, and right smack in the middle of this upper room discourse is today's text. And he gets to, uh, right before John chapter 15, he's talking all about the Father in 14. He's talking about his relationship with the Father. He talks about the Spirit. He talks about his relationship with the Spirit. He talks about the connectedness there and the, the, the relationships that are going on and all these different angles that are happening between the Trinity members. And then we get to John 15, and he kind of just jumps into this statement, and he says, I am the true vine, and my mother is the vine dresser. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8 there in John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, do anybody know what he's done two chapters before? 
it's kind of he's he's reminding them what he did before. What did he do right before? He washed their feet, right? That's how he started the upper room discourse. So you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He didn't say you're clean because of the fact that I've washed your feet. He said you're clean because of the word. All right, so there's a difference there. Number, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what does he say in verse 5? I am the vine. Right? So, so he's repeating himself because he's been talking for two and a half chapters at this point. Right? So we repeat ourselves. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do some things that are really cool. No, that wasn't right. That's the nearly inspired version. What's it, what's it say? You can do what? Nothing. nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. What was... Uh, so, so who denied Jesus at the cross? Or, or around the cross area? Peter denied Jesus. How effective was his witness when he denied Jesus? Like, was he really a light for Jesus at that point? It was fantastic. No, not at all. Because apart from Jesus, he could do nothing for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. That sounds fun, doesn't it? And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father, again this connectedness, is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. So let's talk about vines, right? So let's go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Does anybody know how many times vines are mentioned in the Bible, vines or vineyards? It's a lot. That's what I have in my notes. It's a lot. It's way over 150 times. I mean, it's just gobs and gobs and gobs of verses. So we're just going to hit on a few. Uh, picked lucky number 13 for that today. Uh, it just kind of worked out that way. Actually, that was the number of things that made the notes fit on the page evenly. So sometimes that's what determines what you guys get taught is what can actually fit on the page. So I don't know if that's the way it works or not, but... So Genesis chapter 9, verses 19 through 29. Now, I'm going to bet you a nickel that you were not taught this part of the Noah story as a child in Sunday school, okay? So I would like somebody to read this for me. Who's got Genesis 9, 19 through 29? These were the three sons of Noah. The three sons of Noah, right? You remember this because there are how many people on the ark? Eight. Noah, his wife. It's three boys and their three wives. So that makes eight. Now, you guys know why I stand next to the person reading. It's not to intimidate. It's so that I can pick her voice up on the podcast. Otherwise, it's this three-minute lull, and it gets really undramatic on the podcast when that works that way. So there we go. And from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. So uncovered means what? <coughs> he was naked. Okay? Ham, the father of Canaan, saw... Ham is one of his three boys, right? This is not just a pig that's wandering around, so, okay? Sorry. Saw his... He's not identified right there, so I've got to give some context. So. Saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside that Shem and Japheth took a garment and lay it across their, shoulder, their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, 
cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Sham. May Canaan be the slave of Sham. <clears throat> may God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Sham. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. <coughs> so, what a story to go out on. Right? You're going, but that wasn't in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not usually in the, the sermons either. Um, and, and, again, you guys have heard me say this before. I think this is one of the examples that uh, best illustrates the, the truthfulness and the accuracy of the Scripture is that why would you include this, right? If, if this was a made-up book, why in the world would you include this story? This is ridiculous because you could just absolutely omit these few verses. This is not going to change the story of Noah. It's not going to change the entire Old Testament or the theme of what's going on. Uh, but it does show that Noah is a man. Uh, so the first mention of a vine or vineyards in the Bible is about Noah. So just give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Does this story generally go well or generally not go well? Not go well, right? I'm absolutely not going to get into the vine in the vineyard and the wine and alcohol and all that today. That is for another lesson many years from now. Uh, but this first mention, when vines show up in the Bible, it does not go well. Okay? So we'll just keep that in the back of our minds and see if that shows up anywhere else. So let's go to the next one. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, verses 6 through 10. Deuteronomy 8, 6 through 10. Who's got it? I'm like a guy to read it. I noticed something last week when Margie was asking folks to read is that there were, I think, nine ladies in a row that read. And we just kind of hung back, guys, and didn't do anything. So I'm going to change that a little today. All right? She was given chocolate. She was given chocolate, yes. <laughs> she was giving chocolate. And I, I did not bring any chocolate today, did I? No, so I would just bring guilt and shame. Uh, and we will, that, that works sometimes, too, so... Daryl's made a whole ministry out of it, so we're just we're going to run with it. Do you, do you have your Bible out open? No? No? You got it right here? You got it? All right, here we go. Deuteronomy 8, 6 through 10. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water. So time out. So the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. What land are we talking about? This land usually has a, a word in front of it. It starts with a P. Promise. The promised land, yes. This is, this is God describing good, what good looks like in a land. So he says, what about this land? He says, streams and pools of water. With springs flowing in the valleys. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Springs and pools of water and springs flowing and wonderful. It's like a Kincaid picture here. All right, good. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees. Vines. So vines are good. Why would vines be good? Yeah, because you need that for food, right? Why else would vines be good? For drinking. Yes, that's right. Okay. Pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you... When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
So does that sound like a cool place? Yeah, so, so great metals just come up out of the ground. It's easy. There's rivers, there's streams, there's wheat and barley, there's vines, there's fruit. I mean, it's just milk and honey and bread and cool. Sounds pretty good. So, so vines aren't always bad in the Bible. This is one of the things that God used to actually describe uh, that the promised land, here's your, here's your blank, that the promised land would be good. That the promised land would be good. Now, I have a question for you. What does a vine grow? No, just in general. What does it grow? Some type of food, right? How do I know what kind of food it's going to grow? There you go, right? What do we start with? It matters what you start with and what you're going to get. So let's go to Deuteronomy 32, 32. You got it? Awesome. For their vine. Yep. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Ooh, now hang on. So I feel like we should know this phrase Sodom and Gomorrah. So Sodom and Gomorrah, give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. Like two thumbs down, right? Because God scorched it. Yes. So their vine is what? The vine of Sodom and Gomorrah. The vine of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what do we think we're connected to here? Good. Something that's not good. So, so what are we going to grow if it's connected to something not good? More not good, right? You're going to have a whole lot of fruit that's bad, that's really, really bad. So it depends on what you start with to what you end up with. So this is a pretty basic concept. But vines can be connected to the wrong source. Yeah? Okay. We can, we can have input into our lives that is not good that will result in more not good uh, actually, the, the refining and perfecting of not good to the point where it is celebrated and rejoiced over. So all sorts of stuff there. So then we come to 1 Kings 21. I'm not going to go through the whole passage here, but this is Naboth's vineyard. So does anybody know this particular story well enough to give an overview of it in less than, say, a minute? Just kind of highlight. You, you got it, Stacey? Cool. Ahab wanted it. Jezebel told him to take it. Ahab's the who? Ahab's the king, and Jezebel's the queen. The queen. So and the king and the queen want something. Yeah. Okay. And so she has people killed, or neighbors killed, so that he can take it. Right. So there is a land war over this particular vineyard, and how does Naboth end up? Dead. Dead, yes. In where? In the vineyard. In the vineyard, yes. So, uh, so the first mention was Noah getting drunk off the vineyard. The first Kings 21 is Naboth is lying dead in the vineyard. So there are some rough stories in the scripture about vineyards. Uh, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5 is the Jews that are left in Jerusalem are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and the gates of Jerusalem and hanging the doors on them so that they have protection and that they can be uh, strong again and rebuild that city. Nehemiah shows up and leads them in this effort, rallies them in this effort, uh, shows them how to do this in an organized way, extraordinarily efficiently. I mean, they had been, these gates had been burned uh, and the, the walls have been broken down for years and years and years and years. And then less than a year, they've got it all tightened up. It's an absolutely amazing story. But in chapter five, the word vine shows up or vineyard shows up. Can anybody find it there in chapter five? And tell me what the context is of that verse. 
What does it say in verse 3 there? We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes, and our homes to get grain during the famine. We are mortgaging our homes and our vineyards. So let's go back to the verse that was read over here. Because what, was, what, did, what did God say would show up in this good land? Vines, which are part of vineyards, right? So they have taken something that is good, that God wanted to be good for them, and they have mortgaged it, which if you know anything about the way the Bible talks about debt, it never talks about debt positively in the Scripture. Um, so they have mortgaged this so that they can't do what they needed to do to rebuild. So we can take good things from God and do poor things with them to put ourselves in a position that it is difficult or more difficult to do what he wants us to do, right? Now, that is not a section of today's lesson that would be very popular in any room in America because we like to mortgage everything in America because we want what we want now. But that, too, is a lesson for another day. It's not the lesson for today. So... Vines, uh, a good thing can be misused or abused. Now, Psalm 128.3. So we start to kind of turn the corner here on how vines are used in the Scripture. So Psalm 128.3. Who's got that? Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Right. So vines here are set in the context of a family, and we are going to have fruit. And the fruit is going to be children. Yes. So, so they, they, can, they can be used in a large number of ways. We will do more with this in just a second. So Proverbs 24, 30, 31, 32, 33, and 34. If you follow Dave Ramsey on Twitter, which is helpful for me to be reminded pretty regularly that I shouldn't buy it today, um, whatever it happens to be for the day, I don't know. Uh, but he, he quotes the, a verse in this passage uh, a lot, like once a week. So, Albert, you got it? Uh, do you want the 30 34? Yes, sir. I passed by the field of a sluggard. By the of a sluggard. Now, what's a sluggard? Say pretty much just a lazy. A, a bum, right? Yeah, this is a dude who doesn't want to work, right? Okay, cool. Because sluggard's not a word that you're probably going to use tomorrow. I mean, honestly, we don't use that word very often. So, pass by the field of a sluggard. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all over. So he's not just lazy. He doesn't have any sense either. Right. Okay. All right. So I just, I don't want to miss that. It's probably not somebody you should hang out with. Yeah. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. Now, why would it be overgrown with thorns, Albert? Because he was a sluggard and had no sense. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? <laughs> um, have any of you ever uh, had a garden of any type before? Yes. Uh, if you don't do anything to the garden, what happens to the garden? That, right? That verse. It's just stuff gets in there that you don't want in there, right? So, so what do you have to do to get this result? Nothing. You have to do absolutely nothing. You have to actively work to not have that result. But you have to do nothing to get this result. So, okay, so he's got it overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. What are nettles? Little things that poke you. Excellent. I, I really didn't know, so I figured somebody would know. So it's great. And it's stone wall. Darla, what's your, what's your, uh, why am I thinking about you? What's that? That's it. That was your maiden name, right? Okay. All right. I'm sitting here going, why am I thinking about Darla? Because we're friends on Facebook, and every time she posts about quilting, um, 
because that's what she posts about, that and her dogs. And hallelujah, he is engaged. Yes. And Boom. And we said yes to the dress. And we said yes to the dress, even better. I, I don't know what that means, but that's awesome. Good. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. I was like, they get a dress now when you engage? Okay. All right. That's great. Um, very expensive. Very expensive. Yeah, we'll get there one day. Lots of rabbit trails with this passage, huh? This is good. So nettles. We left off at nettles. Yes. So we determined what nettles were. <laughs> and its stone wall was broken down. Why would you need a wall? Keep critters out of the vineyard, right? Because... Critters don't do good things to vines. Or your neighbors, yes. Yeah. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Mm. That's heavy. That is heavy, yes. Uh, So what do you have to do to get there? Nothing. You just have to fold your hands and a little sleep and a little slumber. And absolutely do nothing. So, um, so that is one way to manage a vineyard. So let's go to Proverbs 31 to see maybe there's another thing. Maybe there's another way. So Proverbs 31, we'll look at verse 16. Now Proverbs 31 describes somebody. Uh, what's her name? The virtuous woman. Her other name is the Proverbs 31 woman. Yes, that's how she's normally described. I often wonder if she was actually a real person or if it's just illustrative of something larger. Um, so Proverbs 31, 16. You don't think she was real, Darla? Yeah? <laughs> You're like, nobody can pull all that off, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Either. Just to give everybody a break, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Miss Beth, you got it? Yeah. Okay. 31, 16. Yes. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So that's kind of cool, right? So, so, yeah, that's... So we've got this idea that she considers a field, so she's moving around in the area. She sees this. She decides, I should go buy that. She goes and she buys it. Cool. And then what does she do? She does nothing, right? So that it will become overgrown and have nettles. No? What does she do? Yeah, she goes, who plants the vineyard? She does. She does. She plants the vineyard. And then what does it describe? In that next verse that you were just reading there, in 17. Oh, I'm sorry, that she's a hard worker. Yeah. You know why? Because vineyard work isn't easy. It is not easy at all. It is hard. It is hard every day, actually. You have to go and do something. It is active work. So you have the Proverbs, what was it, 24, Albert, your text? Um, yes. So you got the... You got the Proverbs 24 example of do nothing. You got the Proverbs 31 example of get busy and do the work. So vines in Proverbs, uh, and then we go the Proverbs that we're going to uh, the text that we're going to skip is number nine, Song of Solomon. Um, so if you want to know how vineyards are used there, then you can go read Song of Solomon this afternoon, and you can see those examples. Insert awkward pause here. Number ten, Isaiah chapter five. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 5. Now, some of you have Bibles where it's got a little header above the chapter and kind of gives you a, a, a description of what's going on in this chapter. Uh, how, does this, how does this header look in your Bible if you have one of those? Yeah, so you got a thumbs down, right? So what does the header say? Woe 
pronounced on the faithless. Woes pronounced on the faithless. That doesn't sound good, does it? Anybody have anything else? God's disappointing vineyard. There's a movie you want to go see, right? Now playing God's disappointing vineyard. Like what in the world is that about, right? What do you think it's about? What do you think it's about? Disappointing God. Disappointing God, yeah. It's the behavior of people that he has planted in a place, and they disappoint him. So there's vineyards can be used to describe people as well in the Scripture. So let's keep going. So then we get to Matthew 20 and 21, Mark 12, Luke 13, Luke 20. And in all these different chapters, Jesus tells parables about vineyards. It was one of his favorite things to tell parables about. So he tells parables about a lot of different vineyards. People working in a vineyard, people owning a vineyard, people buying, people selling, people doing these different things. Then we get to Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 15. And these are passages about the Lord's Supper, uh, including our text today. And then the last time the word vine or vineyard shows up in the Bible is Revelation 14. And that should clue you in, because when you're in the teens in Revelation, that's, the, that's all the, the worst parts of the Bible kind of stuff, right? So Revelation 14, 17 through 20. So who's got that one? I need, I need somebody, there we go. All right, Tim. And this is in your, your manliest voice possible here, right? Okay, so you are channeling Morgan Freeman playing God himself, all right? No pressure. No pressure, yeah. That's all right. Okay. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Now, what's a sickle? Also not a word we use on a daily basis. It's a big bladed item that cuts. It's a big bladed item that cuts other things, right? Okay. Yeah, the slugger doesn't know what this is, right? Okay, good. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire. So there's an angel who has power over fire. I don't think I will make that one mad. Okay, keep going. Came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to put him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. What a happy story. Oh, my goodness. So we start the Bible with a story about vines, and it doesn't go well for a guy that you all kind of thought well of before this morning's passage. Uh, And... Then we end the Bible with something about vines, and there's a blood, literally, a bloody mess for 200 miles. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So what do we do with that? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about vines, but in every single time it is used, every single time vines are used in the Scripture or vineyards are used in the Scripture, we're talking about connection. So your first application is connection is critical. Now, were some of the stories that we looked at this morning about vines messy? Yeah, like the last one. Two, I mean, just try to picture 200. What is 200 miles away from right here? Anybody, what's, I don't know. Nashville's 200 miles. So, so even further than that. So what's 200 then? Cincinnati. So from here to Cincinnati, to the horse's bridle, horse's bridle is about 
but in here somewhere. 200 miles of blood. I'm going to put that in the messy category. Okay? But there's a connection going on. And the connection is those that opposed God at that point in the future have that as a result. And there's a connection. Okay? So connections are critical, but they're messy sometimes. Number two on the application, relationships are critical. So remember what I told you that in John chapter 14, Jesus set up the whole I'm the vine, the true vine story with. He set up the true vine story with those conversations about his relationship with the Father, his relationship with the Spirit, and how all that inner works together. And if you're not connected to the vine and you don't have a relationship with the Son, guess what happens to those parts of the vine? Yeah, they wither and they die, right? They wither and they die, and this is not good. So another application point, who's the true vine? Jesus is the true vine, right? Just like he is the bread of life and the light of the world and all those other things that we had mentioned before. Uh, and going back to the original I am, God is God and God isn't going anywhere. Uh, that should, be say, should say God is God. You can correct that on your hand out there. God is God and God isn't going anywhere. So what do we do with all that? All right, so get connected. Jesus is very clear in John 15. If you want to wither, right, wither, which withering is not good. Um, my mom had a knee replacement several months ago because her knee, parts of it had withered up. Parts of the things in there that were supposed to work very well no longer worked very well, and she had to have some help. Is Becky, you know anything about this? Yes. Is it fun when parts of your body wither? No, not at all. How about your whole body withering up? I'll pass on that, right? Let's stay connected to Jesus then, okay? So relationships, stay in relationship. So what is that talking about? Well, it's nice to be connected to somebody. Most of you, if you look down on your left hand, there's a piece of silver or gold that says, uh, I'm connected to somebody. It defines that relationship. But that doesn't necessarily just mean because there's something there that you actually are in relationship. It just means there's a connection. There's a difference between having a connection and being in relationship. So get connected, but be in relationship as well. And then number three, abide in Christ and bear fruit. And that's really kind of the point of today's lesson is that we don't get to do this on our own. If I sit back and do nothing with my relationship with Christ, who am I like there, Albert? The sluggard, yes. If I actively roll up, if I actively roll up my sleeves, Miss Beth, and get to work and do something with my relationship with Christ, who am I like? That Proverbs 31 lady, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I can either sit back and do nothing and wither or get involved, abide in Christ, and bear fruit. So the personalization from all of these, all seven lessons summed up two words, trust him. That's it. Trust him. He is not going anywhere. He is forever going to be the bread of life, forever going to be the light of the world, forever going to be the true vine. And there's a lot of security in that, that our God is God and he isn't going anywhere. Amen? Cool. All right, so I am excited about tomorrow because tomorrow I get to drive to Knoxville and back 
which is not something I typically get excited about, but it just so happens to coincide with the fact that next Sunday we start a new series, because we're all about series in here. We start a new series, and we're picking back up with the systematic theology, and we'll be looking at the doctrine of man, which means I have four hours tomorrow to listen to Wayne Grudem talk about God and how the doctrine of man... I can't say God anymore without thinking of Grudem and God. That's how he says it. I don't know where he's from, but we'll get to that, I'm sure, at some point tomorrow in the four hours. Uh, so I'm probably going to be posting about a million things on Facebook this week, talking about how excited I am for next Sunday. I don't have a clue what the passage is about yet, but I'm probably going, he's probably going to be real amped up. So if you see these, invite your friends. I'll be really excited and passionate, and we'll go from there. But next Sunday, we start five weeks on the doctrine of man, and then we'll do Easter at Coolidge, and then we'll do five weeks on the doctrines of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So which will be quite timely right after Easter, I think. So we'll go with that. So thank you for coming today. I appreciate your attendance and engagement. Uh, on the table, at the middle of the table, you've got a page that says weekly update at the top. Make sure you've got your prayer requests on there. Your name at the bottom somewhere for everybody that was here at the table, at your table today. And then uh, pray as a group and you are dismissed. And we do need to put up the chairs this morning. So if we could do that before we go, that'd be great. Thank you, guys. Thank you.